This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. The L.A. teacher strike comes to an end. For comment and analysis, we turn to Sarah Jaffe. She describes herself as a labor journalist before it was cool. She's a fellow at the Type Media Center. That's the new name for the Nation Institute. Her work has appeared in the American Prospect, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, and the Nation. And she's also co-host of the Descent Magazine podcast, Belabored. And she's the author of the book, Necessary Trouble, Americans in Revolt. Sarah Jaffe, welcome. Thank you for having me. So we had more than 30,000 teachers on strike here in L.A. for six days in a district with more than half a million students, most of them poor and Latino, We're taping this on Tuesday at midday in L.A. The mayor this morning announced a negotiated contract settlement. The teachers are voting today. The union expects they will vote in favor of the proposal and will be back in classrooms on Wednesday. The settlement includes higher pay, but also smaller class size, more support staff, more nurses, librarians, and counselors. Also, more regulation of charter schools, less standardized testing, more green space, more funding from the state, way beyond the usual agreement on pay and benefits. The L.A. School District is the largest employer in the city, so when their workers go on strike, it's a very big deal for the students and their families, of course, for the teachers, of course, but also for the whole city and really for the Democratic Party everywhere in the United States. You were out on the picket lines here last week in L.A. talking to teachers and parents. What did they say the strike was about? I think for teachers and for parents in Los Angeles, the strike was about, you know, it's become almost a a cliche to say the schools our students deserve, thanks to the Chicago teachers making that such a a regular slogan. But it's true. When you talk to parents who are saying, my kid goes to school and there's 40 students in his class, and how is he supposed to get any attention from his teacher when there's 40 students in this class? When I'm talking to students who are getting organized because they're being stopped and frisked in the schools. When you're talking to teachers who have seen their funding cut back, they have a nurse once a week. I talked to a librarian who for a little while had to travel to a different school basically every day of the week because the schools only had a librarian one day a week. When you talk to people about things like this, you get a real picture of what's been done to public education and what this union would like to reverse. And this is a battle not just for better schools in Los Angeles, it's also a battle over the future of the Democratic Party. This whole strike had, you know, it had nothing to do with the Republicans or with Trump. It's really about whether the Democrats, who of course have complete control in Los Angeles and California, will support austerity and the steady erosion of public services, or whether the Democrats will support a more progressive and better funded government. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about that for a minute. Yeah, it was very interesting to me that uh, Cory Booker, who never met a charter school or a hedge fund that he didn't like, was at a charter school event in New Orleans while the Los Angeles teachers were on strike. Yeah. And this comes after a week where, like, the Democratic Party actually, the DNC 
put out a statement on the first day of the strike saying they stand with teachers. Kamala Harris put out um, some videos saying she supported the teachers. Bernie Sanders, it's no surprise, sent out an email to his email list saying support the teachers. So there is a movement in that direction, but there are still the Cory Bookers of this world. And, you know, it's important to note that the Los Angeles School Board, who hired this Wall Streeter, Austin Butner, to run the school district, they are all theoretically Democrats. And so when you look at this, and when you look at California in particular, right, your state is the biggest economy in the U.S., the fifth biggest economy in the world if it was its own country, and it is 43rd in per-student funding. That's not a, an accident. It's not a something that just sort of, oops, it happened. These are conscious decisions that were made to defund the schools. It goes back in part to Prop 13, but it also, it's a decision that's been made over and over again in these cities that are run by Democrats. And let's talk about the union. It's called United Teachers Los Angeles, UTLA. The vote before the strike in favor of the strike was 98%, pretty amazing. And the support from parents and and communities for the striking teachers was even more amazing. How did the union do Mm -hmm. this? So this union, the caucus that runs this union came in in 2014 and they came in ready to prepare for something like this. They came in instituting an organizing department, a parent community department, a research department and a political department, none of which the union had before in order to really root themselves in community and to rethink what a union could be. There's been a reform movement at work within teachers' unions for at least a decade now. The first time most Americans got a glimpse of that was in Chicago in 2012, where, again, they introduced the slogan, the schools our students deserve. Also, our working conditions are our students' learning conditions. You know, a lot of the time when unions say they want a community partnership, what they mean is they want some people to come along to a press conference. In this case, they're really having meetings around a table. There's um, a blanket organization called Reclaim LA Schools that involves students, parents, and teachers, and community groups. That all of this is to say that, like, they're getting demands from the parents and the students and incorporating those into their bargaining demands. So it's not just top-down. It's not just the teachers saying, we want parents to support us. It's they're saying to parents and students, what do you need from these schools and how can we bring that to the bargaining table? So when you get things like them talking about police in schools, when they're talking about green space, when they're talking about ethnic studies programs, they're talking about this because this is what they're hearing from parents and students that the parents and students value. And we need to talk about charter schools. L.A. has more students in charter schools than any other uh, big city. The billionaires, who are Democrats, as we have said, have put a huge amount of money into electing a pro-charter school board. They elected, as you said, a pro-charter superintendent of schools. We are told, we don't know the details of the settlement here, but that the settlement includes some kind of new restrictions on charter school expansion. Do you think this could be a a turning point for L.A. and nationally in the charter school movement? I don't know if the charter school regulations can explicitly go in this contract. I think it's more of opening space for that kind of a discussion. But this is certainly one of the big things that every teacher I spoke to wanted to talk about in terms of this fight, right? They are frustrated with the resources that are going to charters. And I think that the school board and the superintendent certainly got a sense from this fight that the parents and the students and the teachers in Los Angeles are on the side of fully funding the existing public schools, not turning them into private charters. 
One of the reasons that the union succeeded in this strike was that the picket lines were so successful and the demonstrations, especially downtown, were so huge. I know you spent a lot of time out here uh, visiting the picket lines. How did these picket lines compare with other picket lines you've known? (laughs) I mean, these were, well, first of all, you know, you were out in LA. It was raining all week. Yeah. So I, I'm back here in New York where it was 14 degrees when I landed. So I'm, I'm actually, I would love to be back in 55 degrees and raining right now, but it was really impressive to see how many people came out in the pouring rain every day. People were out in spite of the rain, that people were there wearing ponchos and rain boots and singing and dancing in the rain. But so Monday's rally, I think the number was like 45,000 people. And Friday's was supposed to be 60,000 people. So like when you end the week stronger than you began, that's a big deal. But it's also, you know, it made everybody look at the weather and the week and say, huh, next week's going to be nice out again. Do we want to have another week full of big, intense exciting electric picket lines in front of our schools, or do we want to give the teachers what they want? You write in The Nation that the union's vision for public schools would require vast changes to the way our society has been organized. Please explain. When we talk about, and I mentioned in that piece, Margaret Thatcher's famous line about there is no such thing as society, there are individuals and there are families, We talk about that vision. That's been the overarching structuring vision for, I mean, in this country, both political parties for most of the last, most of my lifetime, really. I'm 38 years old. And that means that everything that can be privatized has been privatized or they're working on privatizing it, that everything is about sort of individual responsibility. When you think about charter schools and the the promise that charter schools make, they're essentially saying, if you can get your kid into a specific school, then your kid will have a chance and the rest of the kids who are stuck in the regular public schools are just going to have to suffer. That's that individual bootstrap mentality at work. And public schools say something different. And a union like this one says something different. They say that we should have a society that works for everyone. We should have spaces that are welcoming and open and provide for everybody. Kids should get fed. They should get cared for. They should have a nurse, a counselor, everything that they need. That should be provided on the basis of what they need, not on the basis of what they can give and what they can pay, but on the basis of what they need. And so for the teachers to fight over this, and again, for the parents and the community to be by their side in this fight, they're fighting for a society that actually provides for people. And that is something that is, we are constantly told is just crazy. We can't ask for that. You can't ask for universal health care. You can't ask for, you know, any of these things because we just can't do that. You have to pay for things. And the teachers are saying, nah, you actually, we can provide these things. We can do that. And we should do that. Do you think this will have traction not just for Los Angeles and California, but potentially across in other places across the whole country? I mean, this is already part of a movement that's ongoing. So we should, you know, look at this as part of a continuum that, you know, I always say started in Wisconsin after Scott Walker's attack on teachers. They had their first victory in Chicago with the Chicago Teachers Union strike. We've seen a bunch of unions in the interim between these two big strikes arguing for, fighting for, going to the verge of striking over 
and winning some impressive contracts that, again, involve fighting for public schools, pushing back on charters, winning community demands in places like St. Paul, Minnesota, in Seattle, pushing back on standardized testing. All of this has been an ongoing movement. In West Virginia, the big you know thing that everybody paid attention to when they went on strike last year was that they won a raise, but they also pushed back on charter schools in that same movement. So this is... Again, this is an ongoing fight. The next strikes are likely to be in Denver and then Oakland, um, both of whom are circling on or have already taken strike votes. And we're going to see them, again, paying very, very close attention to what just happened in Los Angeles. Because, again, we're, we're at a point where the political questions are being called on what kind of a society we want to live in. Not just how much should you get paid for making widgets, but as one teacher said to me, you know, our widget is a kid who has trauma. We're not just trying to, like, turn out something at the end of the day. You can't standardize or tailorize education. But what you can do is make it a big, broad fight about what the world we want to live in looks like. And that's why I think we're seeing teachers at the head of the labor movement right now. Sarah Jaffe, she wrote about the radical organizing that paved the way for the L.A. teacher strike in The Nation magazine. Sarah, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.